Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. It's a pastoral act. It's an act of love for your people. You want your people to come closer to God. And over and over again, preachers that I work with, they will resonate with that. Not that I want to be a big star on America media, but that I want my people whoever they are who are hurting in the pews, I want them to come closer to God. And so I want to learn to preach in a way that brings people to God. Not self-contained, I'm a good preacher, but this will bring my people closer to God. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, associate editor at America Media, and also an associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier in New York City. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. On Preach This Week, we welcome Carla Bellinger, Dr. Bellinger is the founding executive director of the Institute for Homiletics at the University of Dallas and former associate director of the Martin Program for Homiletics at the University of Notre Dame. She is also the current president of the Catholic Association of Teachers of Homiletics. Carla, welcome to Preach. Thank you, Ricardo. I know that the Institute for Homiletics is a new one and that, like Preach, it receives funding from the Compelling Preaching Initiative of the Lilly Endowment. Tell me about the work of your institute. Well, our institute was founded when I started about two and a half years ago. Some very generous donors from the Diocese of Dallas, lay-driven, said we need better preaching in the Catholic Church. For the Lilly Grant, our project is directed toward compelling preaching for young Catholics, all the way from school age, all the way through young adult and family life. How do we create programming that helps preachers to better connect with that age group? Now, tell me a little bit about yourself. You're the author of two books on preaching, you're working on a third, and you're careful to make the distinction that you're a homiletician, not a homilist. What's this distinction? Right. A homilist is one who preaches a homily, A homiletician is someone who studies and teaches and works with homilists so that they can better connect the gospel with their people. So it sounds like preaching is a large part of your life, Mm -hmm. but it's not your entire life. You're also married. You converted to Catholicism when you were 21. Mm -hmm. You're a mother to five children, a granny to nine. I think you've just become a granny again. (laughs) And you have an undergraduate degree in forestry and a doctorate in preaching. Mm -hmm. How does that all fit together? 
When I look back, you know, when I was 19 years old, if you'd asked me as a Presbyterian forestry student, at this point in my life, I would be founding an institute to teach Catholic priests and deacons, bishops and abbots how to preach. I would have just laughed. I think there's a divine kind of a sense of humor that says, somebody's got to talk about preaching. Well, how about Carla? It's like, well, how about not? But yes, it's just been a little bit of a strange journey, but it's been a blessed one as well. God certainly laughs when we make plans. Right, exactly. <laughs> As you know, we don't usually hear the full readings on preach, but you're preaching on the second Sunday of Lent, year B. Help us set the scene. What's the reading that you're focusing on? Well, when I coach preachers and they go all over the place with all kinds of readings, we try to help them to be an inch wide and a mile deep. And so I have chosen to focus on the Transfiguration, the gospel reading. And who did you write this homily for? I used to preach for the word.op.org, the Dominican online preaching site. And so I originally created that for the Dominican site. And now I'll offer it to you here at Preach. We will now hear Carla Bellinger's homily for the second Sunday of Lent. Year B, especially recorded for Preach. A few years ago, here in the Midwest, I was outside shoveling snow. It was a negative two degrees. It was cold. The snow was deep. The sky was blue. The late February sun was growing stronger. Sparkles glistened in the snow where the sun shone upon it. It was beautiful. After a drab and overcast winter, I felt like I was being bathed in light. And as I scooped the snow onto the snowbank, I thought about the transfiguration. Jesus was bathed in light with a face shining like the sun. His clothes were dazzling, whiter than any Clorox bleach could bleach them. Maybe it was the brilliance of the snow. Maybe it was the brightness of the sun. I don't know which it was, but that word, dazzling, it just grabbed hold of me. What does it mean to be dazzled by God? What was so wonderful that all of the synoptic gospels tell the story of the transfiguration? Then I started to think, where else have I seen dazzling brightness? I think of the shimmer of sunshine dancing on the water. I remember a mountaintop that glowed with the pink and gold of a sunset. Like Abraham in the desert, I have looked up at the radiance of the full moon and the glimmer of the stars. Those memories of beauty made me smile, and the shoveling grew easier. How about you? If you live in the northern U.S., winter can be drab and overcast, gloomy and gray, and suddenly snow, bright and white, and then after a snowstorm, sunshine. Have you ever been bathed in light? Dazzled, astounded, in awe? I looked up the word dazzling. The Greek word stilbo means to shine intensely, to dazzle, to be radiant, to glisten. It is only used once in the New Testament, and it comes here in today's story of the Transfiguration in Mark. The word dazzling is rare. In the English language, the word dazzling is also rare. Since the early 18th century, the use of the word dazzling has dropped. It was at a low point in the mid-1990s. The word dazzling was almost gone from the English language. Are we dazzled anymore? Becoming jaded and hard to impress? 
But then suddenly, at the turn of the millennium, dazzling white became an advertising slogan for the preferred tooth color of the American upper class. Dazzling white made a brief comeback. If you Google it, you find dazzling white tooth bleaching chemicals. But other than the straight, pearly white teeth that have become an American symbol of status, do we allow ourselves to be dazzled anymore? Is wonder still a thing? What about the wonder of the apostles? How long did Peter stare at the brilliance of Jesus? Pretty quickly, he looked away. He said, Rabbi, let us make three tents. Scripture says that he hardly knew what to say. He was terrified, terrified that radiance. It was too much, too bright, too intense, too dazzling. And even when I was in the midst of my shoveling, I had to come inside and get my sunglasses. Being bathed in light is glorious, but woe. It can be too much, too bright, too intense, too dazzling. Today is the second Sunday of Lent. In the church, Lent is traditionally a time to focus on prayer. For 40 days, we ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen our interior life. But it doesn't begin with us. It is the living God who wants to spend time with us, just to be with us. The God of the universe who is infinite also wants to be the God who is intimate and close. God wants to dazzle us. But yes, we know we should pray more in Lent, but honestly, really, are we a little afraid to pray? I mean, to really pray? Are we afraid to allow God to overpower us? When Jesus draws close to us, do we look away? Like the apostles, are we terrified too? Sometimes it feels safer to stay on the surface of prayer, to remain in the drab of this life, to stay in the gloom. But Lent is a time to turn away from darkness. Lent is a time to turn toward the light. How do we do that? We can learn from the mystics. Look at the people who have experienced the close presence of God. Moses' face glowed with the glory of the great I Am when he came down from the mountain. The saints are painted with halos of light surrounding them. Each one of them is filled with the light of God. Radiance oozes out of them. Maybe Jesus always looked like that. But this was the only time that the apostles saw him as he really was. Maybe. St. Simeon, the new theologian, writes that those who walk as children of God are constantly surrounded by light. That is the cataphatic tradition of Christian mysticism. In line with the spirituality of St. Ignatius, the earth is shot full of the glory of God. Wherever we are, wherever we go, the Holy Spirit shouts out God's beauty, God's truth, God's goodness and dazzling presence. It is always here, if we have eyes to see it. You and me, we may not be great mystics. We might just be ordinary people. How can we allow God to dazzle us without looking away? In the book, The Dawn Treader, C.S. Lewis describes a scene where the boat sails closer and closer to the foundation of the world of Narnia, and those eastern waters grow too bright, and the children are blinded by the brightness of the sun shining on those waters. Then they lean over the side of the boat. They begin to take little sips of water. The water tastes like light. Their eyes grow stronger. They are able to see the glory of their surroundings. Yes, the light of God is intense and bright and dazzling. 
Yes, the radiance of God might be terrifying. Yes, we can choose to look away. But if you and I are called to experience the beauty of God in prayer this Lent, we can take little sips throughout the day. For 10 seconds, let your ribcage swell with the joy of Jesus. For 20 seconds, sit in wonder like a child. For 30 seconds, glory in the created world that you see around you. That is prayer. The God of the universe wants to dazzle us. And like the children on the boat in the Narnia tales, we can grow accustomed to glory, take small sips, dwell in the dazzling light of God. Then for all of Lent, like the apostles, tell no one. Let the glory of God shine on your inner life. Let the glory of God ready you for Easter. Then the joy of the resurrection will burst out in your dazzling, radiant smile. And with the whole church, we will shout out, the Lord is risen. Dazzle us, O oh God, dazzle us this day. That was Carla Bellinger for Preach. After the break, Carla and I will get into how preachers can immediately see improvements with a few changes to their preaching, and how they can open themselves to receiving important feedback from their congregation. Before we get back to our conversation with Carla, a few words from our sponsors. Do you want to be a master preacher? If so, Aquinas Institute of Theology's Doctor of Ministry in Preaching program will help you become the kind of preacher the Church so desperately needs today. Grounded in the charism of the Order of Preachers, the Aquinas program is the only Catholic program of its kind in the United States, and its graduates hold leadership roles in preaching and teaching throughout the world. The Aquinas cohort model is designed to accommodate a full-time minister's busy schedule, including both in-person and virtual components where students work together in a close-knit, supportive community. Applications are now being accepted for the 2024 cohort, which begins this summer. Visit ai.edu dmin for more information. That's ai.edu M-I-N. Boston College School of Theology and Ministry recently announced a new certificate program called Courage to Preach, starting this summer, 2024. The program is designed to equip ministers, particularly campus ministers and parish ministers, to better integrate the riches of our faith with the crucial challenges of our time. Participants will learn to utilize scripture and Catholic social teaching to preach on contemporary issues, such as racial and environmental justice. The program engages diverse audiences in dynamic methods for preaching, teaching, and facilitating faith and justice activities, and is particularly attuned to the techniques most effective for reaching young adults. This hybrid program takes place in person at Boston College over two summers and online for one module during the winter in between. To learn more, visit bc.edu slash preach today. Now, back to our conversation with Carla. Carla, I know you say that you're not a homilist, but a homiletician. 
But that really was quite a brilliant homily. So I think you're a homilist and a homiletician. Okay. Well, H and H, we could go with that. Okay. (laughs) What really stood out to me about your homily was, one, just how you continued with that one word, dazzling, and be dazzled, and various forms of the word dazzling, and how you unpacked that. But I think even more than that, what struck me was your delivery, which was sort of poetic, and the rhythm of your preaching, Mm -hmm. right? It felt like I was really getting into a story and you wanted to take me on a journey. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you can talk to me about those two aspects. So word choice, but also the way that you convey that word choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I teach and therefore I ought to practice is that the homily starts with God and goes to the people. And the homily and the homilists are sort of the pathway from one to the other. I have used an exercise when I'm coaching and teaching preachers of structure, you know, structuring your moves, structuring your transitions, bringing one message from God to the people. And in this homily, because I had better practice what I preach, right? The word dazzling and the focus point of this thread that took from God to the people was my focus statement that God wants to dazzle us. And so The flow of a homily is almost a musical sort of a thing. You know, you have your opening part that may lay out the promise of where you're going to go. And then you have different moves, as in music, that have a balance, have a rhythm to it. How long should you pause? When should you speed up? When should you slow down? You can actually write stage directions. And when I work with preachers, I'll ask them, at what point do you want your speech to speed up? When do you need to slow down? Where do you put your pauses? So there is a musicality to delivery, but there's also something deeper than the musicality. The heart of the preacher, hopefully, will come through to the people. You talk about movement in a homily, right? Many homilies that I've heard Mm -hmm. tend to stay on one key or almost monotonous. Mm -hmm. How do you create this movement in your own preaching and also in the way that you teach preachers to get their homilies to move? Mm -hmm. Part of it is in in structure. I just gave a winter retreat for about 45 preachers down in Florida. I know that's a hard life for those who are from Green Bay, Wisconsin. But we worked on structuring the homily. And our focus for this particular winter retreat was going deeper. They're almost done with their two-year program. So how do we take what we've learned about the science of homiletics and move it into a deeper mode. And so we focused actually quite a bit on pause and silence and how do you effectively use silence? Because one of the reasons you're saying that you keep getting the same tone going, very often the pace is such that a preacher doesn't stop and let people think about what he's saying. And so one of the things I shared with our preachers at our retreat was that you got to give the Holy Spirit a little bit of time to do some work. Mm. You're trying too hard. You know, you go, 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 go. And it's like, let it soak in. Mm -hmm. I gave a talk once and I used the analogy, effective preaching is like good butter sinking into warm toast. Mm. And not just in the homily, I mean, throughout the liturgy. right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Give us a minute or two after your homily to actually digest what you've said. Yes. And after the gospel also, before you get started. Yes. Give us a moment. I mean, don't jump off of Jesus' words, you know. Give us a minute. There's one other thing about your homily that I want to get into, which is you used literature, poetry, 
theology, right? But you found a way to weave it in in a very light-handed kind of way that it didn't feel dense to me. Mm -hmm. Do you have tips for how you do that? In terms of weaving in other elements, essentially what a preacher needs is a life. You know, be reading, be studying, be listening to hey, What music. are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> Get out of the church and go do things. Find out things. How do people live? Go sit with a mother with five kids for half a day and see, what is this person going through? Speak to my life is what people are asking. Aside from, you know, literature and poetry and theology, you also connect to the mystical tradition of the church. Mm -hmm. How did you come to that in your homily? It comes out of my interest in the mystics. I was raised a Presbyterian, and it was sort of through the mystics that I became a Catholic. What I see in homiletics is that 50 years ago, when the Vatican II said, we need to learn to preach, people in the Catholic world turned to the Protestant homiletic tradition to pick up scripture and moral application. And for the first 50 years of the Catholic homiletic tradition, essentially education came from the Protestant world. And about five or six years ago, I wrote a paper called The Mysticism of the Homiletic Encounter and asked the Protestant world if perhaps we shouldn't shift and maybe they could learn from the Catholic world because we are the church of the mystics and the church of sacramentality, the church of saints and martyrs and contemplatives. And our homily sits integral to the liturgy, which is an event of prayer. And so instead of pulling out to do the homily like an academic exercise or a performance of some sort, there is an integral part of the homily that can draw on the liturgy, the words of the liturgy, and the words of our tradition. And so I think our people are hungry for an experience of God. And therefore, our homiletics can draw from this rich tradition to offer people ways to grow closer to God. So give me a sense, how can our preaching benefit more from the mystical tradition of the church? Well, very often we stay up in the head and, you know, exegete the scriptures and give an application. But there are words and images, for instance, Teresa of Avila, you know, a burning arrow hits her heart. There are ways of speaking about God's presence, that God is here. We can pick up some of the rich imagery, especially from the mystics. Who have experienced God and offer them to our people. So in your homily, when you go out into the snow and you connect this dazzling from the scriptures with what you see, mm -hmm. and then you kind of exegete that, right? You go through that motion as opposed to what does it mean exactly in the scriptures and what is happening here and what is the context of the people? It's like, well, in the scriptures it happens, it's also happening in my life and what's happening in my life. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Many folks have some sense of God being present in their life, but they don't necessarily have ever had anyone put the words to that. Mm -hmm. You know, for a Jesuit, this is a very Ignatian kind of a spirituality that we are naming the grace that God has already done in their life. Mm. They may already have the experience, but somehow the homily needs to name that experience as one of God. Mysticism is a sense that God is here, and God is present, and God is real. And very often, we don't give God as real. We get kind of ideas about God, not that God is here, right here in our midst. And if I can add something else from the mystical tradition, which you did so well in your homily, right, it's really building in silence. So take mm -hmm. 10 seconds to do this, 
take 20 seconds to do this, take 30 seconds to do that. And then you peppered it with pauses as you were delivering it. I think that was really helpful. We could go on and on about your homily, but I really want us to take advantage of our time because you're a laywoman teaching mainly ordained preachers how to preach. And I want to focus on that so that we can get as much wisdom from you on this show as possible. One of the key things that your institute is helping people with is to really reflect on their homily, right? And to evaluate mm -hmm. their preaching and to involve others in that evaluation. Mm -hmm. Yes. How can we as preachers become better at evaluating ourselves and being evaluated? I would say the hardest part of evaluation is watching yourself on a video. It's painful, but it is a very helpful exercise for someone to do, to watch themselves. If you want to watch your embodiment, for instance, turn off the sound and watch how you move mm. or you don't move, you know, where you make stupid motions and bounce up and down and things you probably are distracting to your listener. Another thing that helps in self-evaluation is to read your homily as fast as you can. And I would just give you this tip for, you know, this upcoming homily. If you're a manuscript preacher, I'll read it as fast as you can and see where you get stuck. And where you get stuck means you need to edit. As you listen to yourself preach, you can find out, especially at a rapid pace, you're not going to preach it as a rapid pace, but there are words that you're using that are not words ordinary people use, you know, salvation and things like that. But also evaluate yourself in terms of what am I wanting to get through to my people? Why would I want to get better at my preaching? And our premise in our program is that preaching for encounter means it's a pastoral act. It's an act of love for your people. You want your people to come closer to God. And over and over again, preachers that I work with, they will resonate with that. Not that I want to be a big star on America media, but that I want my people whoever they are who are hurting in the pews, I want them to come closer to God. And so I want to learn to preach in a way that brings people to God. Not self-contained, I'm a good preacher, but this will bring my people closer to God. Hmm. I think one of the hang-ups for preachers in terms of evaluating homilies, and I've heard this from priests, it's like, hey, I'm not that bad. And so when we're evaluating our preaching or getting feedback on our preaching, we're hearing it as an accusation all the time, right. right? How can I move into the space that you've set up for us, which is how can I become a preacher that brings people closer to God? Yes. Then I think we can make that bridge. Mm -hmm. Do you have a sense from your years training preachers how we can better hear criticism? Well, it's not easy to take criticism. And young preachers have told me, I got a plenty of evaluation in seminary. Please don't make me do this again. It's hard to hear criticism. And I would not necessarily call it criticism because feedback comes in affirmation and evaluation and in coaching. I mean, there are three kinds of feedback. So we do work on that right away so that when you're working with your peer group, you know, it isn't just a critique, but it's an affirmation. And it's a, here's what I see, which is evaluation. And it's also coaching. Here's how you could move forward, or here's some things you could try to move forward with this. Hmm. I've heard you say the pulpit can be a hard sell, you know, that it's easy to criticize what's happening from the pulpit, but it's really difficult to hold an audience captive for 10 minutes or for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Why do you say that? I would quote a really famous 
scripture scholar, John Meyer, and he gave a Martin lecture at Notre Dame, and he said, and he's written six volumes of The Marginal Jew, probably one of the finest scripture scholars in the last 20 years. He said, preaching is purgatory. And I thought, what does he mean by that? He started, I believe, in New York City. And John Meyer said every time he changed congregations, he had to learn, how did the people hear? How did the people hear me? And he said it's also an extremely vulnerable moment when you are standing up in front of people and they are all looking at you. And whether you are prepared or unprepared, it's a very vulnerable moment. So he, in speaking of the difficulty of preaching, he was trying to speak to his people and found out that no matter what he did, he was inadequate to the task because there was one other person whose life he could touch. And there were times that he felt like he hadn't touched anybody's life. So it's preaching. I have great sympathy for those preachers I work with because it is not an easy thing to do. Hmm. So what would you say then are the easiest fixes for us as preachers? What are the like three things that I can do this week to improve my homily? And then maybe a few longer term fixes you know, that we can work on over time. I would say number one is make one point. That's old advice, but it's rare when I see it in practice. Make only one point. Have a focus statement. Make God the focus of that statement. My focus statement for this is God wants to dazzle us. The second one would be simplify. Very often preaching is too complex. It's an oral process. You're writing it for the ear. So both simplify the language, simplify the structure, and don't assume we're stupid. Not that kind of simplify. But for the listener, simplify so that we can hear what you have to say. And the last quick fix that's really not a quick fix is prayer. Pray for your people. Have your people praying for you. Put the homily within the tone of prayer of the liturgy. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I think St. Paul would say uh, we're being a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal because preaching is an act of love. You know, you, you do this because you care about the people. You don't just do this because this is what, you know, the bishop says you have to do or the documents say you have to do. Most of the really good guys that I work with have a strong heart for the people. You can have a lousy homily structurally, scientifically, but if you're a man of prayer and you say one time that God is here with us mm. and pause, if that's all you can say, sit down and be quiet, you know. But the spirituality of the preacher actually oozes out of him more perhaps than he even realizes, or the lack of spirituality also oozes out. And longer term, what can we do? Longer term, it would be very helpful for each preacher to begin to have, if they don't already, have a group of lay people who will let him know, this is what touches me, this is how this speaks to me. I just finished writing an eight-chapter book on training listeners to be homiletically trained conversation partners. I'm still looking for a publisher. But we can help our lay people to know what good preaching is, and we can have preachers who begin to open the conversation. If we're going to connect the pulpit and pew for the glory of God, we have to start talking with each other. So maybe let's end on that note. How can I, as a preacher, listen more effectively to the members of my congregation, but also create the environment where my congregation feels open to sharing their thoughts with me about my preaching. 
Well, first, we have to acknowledge that in most parishes, there's a power imbalance, that most parishioners will not just come up to you and say, Father, in your second move today, I thought that perhaps you could have used a little longer. That's not going to happen, right? Especially in a immigrant parish or in a parish where people don't have a lot of money, they don't expect Father to be listening to them. There's just a sort of a power divide. So it always has to come from the preacher. You know, when somebody says, good homily, Father, it'll floor them. If you ask, what did you like about it? They'll go, um, 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 um. So to start to have a feedback system in place, it has to start with the preacher. I did a study of catechetical leaders in 2013 or 14, and they especially said that. We who work in the parish, we'd love to give Father feedback, but he's in part charge of my paycheck. So the person who is preaching can ask for people's input, but they also have to be very careful that if they ask for feedback, that they also receive that feedback. People on both sides get burned by feedback. I don't know, you know, how it is. I try to give my husband feedback and boy, you know, I'm in a feedback is my thing. And it's like, how do I give him feedback? So feedback is just a tricky kind of a thing. We hear what we want to hear, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. It's just like what happens from the pulpit. Yes. Well, Carla, it has been great to talk to you. You have given us so many very clear tips I'm going to put some of those into practice. I'll be sure to let you know how they're going. Good. And perhaps we'll have you again on Preach. Thank you. I'd like that very much. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings for this week and a link to the transcript for Carla Bellinger's homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn, with production assistance from Kevin Christopher Robles. Frank Tucson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you'd like to recommend for this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Just click the link in the show notes. You can also follow me on X and Instagram at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. And before you go, did you know that American Media can deliver a new scripture reflection to your inbox every day? If you're already a digital subscriber, they're probably in your inbox. If not, become a digital subscriber today for just $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach and a real gift to you this Lent. Just visit the link in our show notes. Also, if you have some time, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Preach. For American Media, I'm Ricardo De Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, 
What do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.